Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Bolivia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Bolivia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Bolivia Capital. Hey guys, in this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I work through a series of market-related and investment strategy questions we've received recently. This is a very uncertain time for our economy, and stocks have all but discounted a recession. We hope our conversation answers some of the questions you might have as you think about investing now and in the future. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, we're going to uh, try something a little bit different today. Um, Basically, we've gotten we've been getting questions from subscribers and clients, um, just given the, the, the declines in the market and the amount of uncertainty that's out there, and given the pain that a lot of investors are feeling when they look at their portfolios and they see these wild swings in the market. Um, you know, investors have questions not only about the outlook for stocks and what they should be doing, um, but also just generally about sort of our views on the market and maybe where where we might go from here. So what we thought we'd do today is try to take some of those questions and, you know, Jack and I will have a back and forth um, and try to answer those the best we can. So one of the questions that we um, got from an investor was trying to understand, you know, why this decline in the market happened so quickly and so rapidly. And just to sort of frame it up, um, this has been the fastest decline into bear market territory ever in history. Um, I think the, one, uh, the, the, the next one happened during the Great Depression. I believe it was a, around a 40-day um, pullback from, you know, down 20% or more. Um, and this one, we did it basically in 17 tra- trading days. And so, you know, sort of the, I think, trying to uncover maybe what some of the drivers of that. We know that the coronavirus was the big headline risk, but maybe talking about some of the other things that may have contributed to that. So, I mean, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts or ideas or yeah you know there's a lot of things going on but you know one of the major things is uncertainty so this is really unprecedented we've never done this before we've never taken our entire economy and in a lot of ways the entire world economy and just shut it down for an indeterminate period of time and and that's what we're doing right now you know we we know we're shut down right now you know some some countries and states are shut down more than others but we know we're shut down right now we have no idea how long we're shut down for we have no idea. I mean, we know the economic impact of this is going to be severe. We have no idea how severe it's going to be. And when you put that degree of uncertainty into a situation, everybody just goes ahead and sells. And, and I think that's a big part of why we saw such a fast decline here is, you know, a lot of people didn't, some people saw the coronavirus coming, but a lot of people didn't see how disruptive it was going to be coming. And, and things changed very, very rapidly and the market started pricing that in very, very rapidly. And you also may have had some situations where you had some panic sellers in there, some people who had to sell, you know, stocks, but also some other assets as they had to unwind positions into this. And I think the, the second thing is sometimes you, you know, if you look at investing like sort of a coiled spring, when you have really high valuations, they don't tell you you're going to decline over any period of time. Obviously, high valuations can last for a long time. But they can exacerbate something like this. So if you go into something like this with high valuations, which we did, you know, if you look at it as sort of a coiled spring, you can end up with a much bigger snapback than you otherwise or a much bigger decline than you otherwise would have had. 
you know, to co- contrast this environment a little bit with what we were seeing in 2000, let's say in the fall of 2008, I think it seemed like there was more capitulation among retail investors back in late 08 and early 09. Now that may come, but so far, just given, you know, the data on fund flows right now and also what we've seen in our own business, I mean, we haven't seen this rush of retail investors um, running out. Now, I don't know if that tell, you know, that should be considered a positive or a negative. It's just an interesting contrast to, I think, what at least we were seeing, um, you know, back from back in 08 compared to what we're what we're seeing today. The other thing is, you know, I think there are probably, you know, there's been some margin calls and stuff like that. So this forced selling that is added to the downside volatility. Plus, I think algorithmic trading is just more, it's being used more now in the market. And so when the trend goes one way, you know, the sort of the, the, the machines get on top of it and pounce on it and it can kind of, you know, bring it down very, very rapidly. Um, yeah, you know, and what you made a good point. It, are the retail investors going to panic is probably an important question to answer here. And you, you, like you said, the data doesn't show that they're panicking yet. And something like 2008 was spread over, although 2008 was fairly rapid, you know, over the course of three, four months, you know, it still was more, much more spread out than this. And so how that plays into what's going on and whether the retail investor, you know, because this happened so fast, whether they're going to step in and panic later, we don't know the answer to that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the data on whether people are panicking is very unclear anyway. It's very hard to tell. You know, we're looking at things like flows into Vanguard funds, which have been positive, and, you know, just general comments from investors, which have been, you know, that they're buying more or staying the course. So that could be that could mean there's another leg down. That could mean, you know, there could not be another leg down. We, ju- we just don't know at this point. But I think this, this was so unprecedented, and, and that's why I think you've seen this rapid decline, especially coming off high valuations. The next question is, and this is kind of like the million dollar question, and you know, you'll, you'll never get a straight answer from us on this question, but it's a question that you know, a lot of investors like to ask, and that is, you know, are we near the bottom? Yeah, you know, this goes back to the interview I did with Jim O'Shaughnessy, and one of the things I pointed out um, in an article I wrote about that interview is, throughout that interview, Jim said, I don't know, probably 10 times. And he didn't say, I don't know, because he's not a skilled investor or he doesn't, you know, study this a lot. He said, I don't know, because there's so many things we just don't know. And and this is an example of that. We have no idea where the bottom is. You know, nobody has any idea where the bottom is. So it, it's very hard to try to call the bottom. And, and if you do try to call the bottom and you get it right, you're probably going to be more lucky than good. But I think an, another important takeaway of that is you don't need to call the bottom. And Michael Botnick had a good piece on from Ritholtz Wealth Management had a good piece this week on this. And if you're anywhere in the vicinity of the bottom, as a long-term investor who's not worried about this next six months, who's not worried about the next year, who's worried about the next five to 10 years, you're going to do really well. So when you have panics like this and you're willing to hold your nose and buy during them, you typically do very well in the long term. But in terms of are you going to get the absolute bottom right? You're, you're very right. unlikely to get the bottom right. I mean, I know I have no idea how to call the bottom, and I don't think people who even say they have an idea how to call the bottom know how to do it either. So I don't think calling the bottom necessarily matters. I think it's more if you're when you get major declines like this, if you're willing willing to average in, if you're willing to hold your nose and buy, you'll probably do well over time, but you may not do very well at all over the next six months or a year. Yeah, and I think, you know, and many investors know this, the market's a discounting mechanism. So a lot of times when the fear is at the highest peak, and I remember this in, you know, early 09, basically the market, you know, fell precipitously in the fall of 08. And then, you know, it kind of bounced back in December of 08. And then it continued to fall a lot in January and February in 09. And at that point in like 
you know, in, in the month of February, the fear levels were so incredibly high. And I think to me, it feels like the fear levels are extremely high right now because there's so much uncertainty. I don't, I don't know if they're as high as they were then with most your, you know, average investors. So that may mean, you know, we may need to see that level of fear to put in a true bottom. That's more of a behavior or sentiment thing than it is, you know, looking at anything like valuation or anything else like that, that may give you some indication, which you can't use valuation anyways. But the point is, is I just think, you know, a lot of times it's when the, the fear level gets to the point that it seems like, you know, there's no way that, you know, anyone wants to be anywhere near stocks because everyone's just panicked. That's usually a good sign that you're, you know, getting close to, you know, putting in that market bottom, at least from, you know, my experience and what I've seen. And one of the hard things about this is you really have to answer two questions to call a bottom. What's going to happen in the future and what's priced in? And those are both, in a time like this, those are both impossible questions to answer. You know, how bad is this coronavirus going to be? How long are we going to be shut down because of it? You know, what will eventually be the economic impact of that shutdown? And then how much of that is already priced in the market and how much of that is not priced in the market? I just don't feel like you can answer those questions. So you're totally right. You know, you, you want to see very negative sentiment at a bottom. You want to see a lot of things at a bottom. But it's just I think it's very, especially in a situation like this where there's so much uncertainty, it's very difficult to try to get that bottom exactly right. But yeah. if you're willing to buy when things, you know, when other people are running out the door, you typically over very long terms of term, uh, long periods of time will do very well. Yeah, I think that's the key point. Um, why do you think one of the things that, you know, we've seen, um, well, actually, let me take a step back. You know, I think when we first started running these models and we were, we were looking at strategies like our Benjamin Graham value model or any of our value models, really, you know, we had come, come off of a period from 2000 to 2002, that bear market where value did extremely well. So I think in our minds, you know, we largely thought that value, and this goes back to like the Ben Graham, you know, intelligent investor days, which you want to be buying value stocks because they, you know, present a margin of safety. Um, and if you can find those stocks, you know, your, like, your losses are likely to be less over time. Um, but what we've seen really over the past, I mean, in this decline, but over the past, you know, five or 10 years, even value has actually done worse in many of these declines. And I think in particular in this decline, you know, value stocks have actually underperformed again. So shouldn't cheap stocks, I mean, this idea of cheap, of cheap stocks being less risky actually hasn't been the case in, you know, pretty much every decline since the 2008 financial crisis. But even in this one, it's been value stocks have just gotten crushed. So what do you yeah, think? Yeah, you, you know, investors, some investors tend to think that if I'm paying less for a dollar of earnings, if I'm buying a cheap stock, I'm going to take less risk. But actually, that's not true. And actually, it's a good thing that value stocks are more risky because, you know, to ex to explain the long-term outperformance of value, one of the things that explains it is that value is just more risky. And for that extra risk you take, you get an extra return. So it actually benefits investors that value is more risky. But during periods like this, it can be, you know, it can be really painful that value is more risky. And, you know, if you think about what value investors have gone through, they went through a bunch of years where value has underperformed the market by a wide margin. And then, you know, they're hoping that in the bear market, they're going to hold up better. And then now in the bear market, you know, value might be 10, 12% behind the S&P 500 or something like that during this decline. So it, there's a lot on value investors right now. But, you know, it's, what we're seeing here is typical of what you do see with value, which is value is more risky. And, and, you know, if you look at what value owned coming into this, 
value owns a lot of economically sensitive industries, you know, financials, materials, retail. And then on top of that, we got this energy price war with, you know, Saudi Arabia and Russia. And value owns probably an overweight in energy in a lot of cases. You know, and then as, as things come down, value even starts to buy some airlines. So value owns a lot of the economically sensitive stuff that's being most affected by this. And so yeah. that, that's one of the reasons you're seeing value decline a lot more than maybe the market as a whole. It's a good and, point. And, it's like, oh, sorry, I was just going to say all these, all, the, all these like value stocks you know, are in industries that are, you know, potentially going to be the most impacted by what hopefully is, you know, hopefully a temporary or, you know, mid medium term slowdown. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like, you know, you weren't really buying Amazon uh, if you were a value investor um, and, you know, or you maybe weren't buying like, you know, some of these low vol stocks, which have been beneficiaries um, from some of the, you know, things that maybe might be happening in our economy with behavioral changes and consumer changes and spending changes and stuff like that. So anyways, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point that you were basically in the areas of the market that got hurt the most, um, here. Yeah. And the only other point I want to make on value in bear markets is, you know, a lot of us tend to anchor to periods we've seen in our career and, you know, many people saw the 2000 bear market. And so there's this belief after you see a bear market like that, which is your ideal bear market for value. Effectively, the market went down 40 percent. Value didn't go down at all. You know, that's your ideal thing. And you see right. sort of coming into this, you see maybe these overvalued technology stocks, just like you saw in 1999. And you want to feel like, all right, when we get the bear market, we're going to get the repeat of 2000. I'm going to outperform by a wide margin. And that's just not what happened here. You know, that may be what happens on the backside of the, the bear market. But, you know, usually when you expect something to happen in investing, it doesn't. And, and that can be one of the challenges. So, you know, trying to use past bear markets to say this bear market will look like that is, you know, sometimes can be a mistake. Yeah, they're all different for sure. Um, OK, so in terms of the level of uh, valuations in the market, um, I mean, does the market are we starting to get in sort of this area where the market looks attractive based on various valuation measures. I mean, Nir Kassar, actually, who's a writer, we know, we know Nir, and he's a, writes a great column for Bloomberg. You know, he had a piece last night that basically was comparing the current valuations based on PE and price to sales of the S&P 500 to where it bottomed in uh, 09. And he was basically making the point, you know, valuations have a long way to go uh, before we reach those levels. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on sort of the, the, the cheapness, I guess, of stocks at this point in time? Yeah, he, he's totally right about that. Um, you know, we are nowhere near 2008. Um, you know, we, we started with an expensive market and now we're probably in a, you know, if you look at the last 30 years, we're probably in like a middle of the road market. Um, but it's also important to look beneath the surface and see what's going on from a valuation standpoint, you know, with that. And one of the things you'll notice when you do that is the cheapest decile of stocks, the cheapest 10% of stocks are actually very close to 2008 right now. So as much as the market as a whole is maybe on like an average level of expensive, those cheapest stocks have gotten really, really cheap in this. Um, and, you know, maybe deservedly so. Maybe there's, you know, trends that are not going to, you know, benefit those companies going forward. But there are sort of two different markets right now. There's your, your average, you know, the market across the entire spectrum. And then there's that cheapest decile. And that cheapest decile actually does look very attractive from a valuation standpoint. And the last question that um, we uh, got, which I think is a really good one, and it, it you know ties specifically, I mean, to a lot of quantitative managers, but in terms of how we select securities and how we analyze stocks, I mean, we're running a you know a, a set of fundamental based models that, for the most part, rely on historical 
um, earnings and income statement and balance sheet uh, information or data. So the question that we got from the subscriber was, you know, how can you rely on the fundamental historical data in a time like this when obviously, you know, the earnings of companies and probably balance sheets as well, you know, are going to be majorly impacted um, from what's going on. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that as to how to structure that answer in, in a way that makes sense, I think? Yeah, no, there's no question that this is going to be a breaking point in terms of fundamentals, meaning that whatever fundamentals looked like before this, they're going to look very different after this. And so, so the question as an investor is, so first of all, yes, you're correct. If, if I'm running quantitative models using past earnings and past sales, that's probably, they're probably not going to be anywhere near correct going forward. But then the question is, how do I decipher that? If, if I'm going to build a portfolio of stocks, you know, as a human, I might go through and I might, you know, comb through every statement and try to figure out what's going to happen in the future. You know, and that's a process that has a lot of issues as well. You know, we have no idea what the future looks like. You know, we, we haven't even got the economy started. So and, and as I do, if I do that as a human, also, I'm now my emotions of this massive decline that are go, that's going on. They come into the picture. And so, yes, is is now maybe not a great time to rely on past results. You know, maybe not, but I still think if you if you buy a basket of stocks that are historically cheap, you're, you're going to still probably do as well as you could relative to the options that are available right now. And, and, and another thing I think is an important point here is this is why a lot of us quants use negative quality screens, because you want to look at you want to exclude those companies that have massive issues going on. And so, for instance, ours, we use high debt. So company coming into a situation like this with lots of debt they're much more likely to have major issues. So if you're screening out those companies with the absolute highest debt, you're, you're in much better shape to use those past fundamentals going forward. Companies where future earnings are expected to decline relative to current earnings, that's something we use in our quant screen. So as analysts begin to bring down their estimates, our system will take that into account, and the companies that have the, the biggest spreads will you know, be excluded from our portfolios. Companies whose cash flows aren't keeping up with earnings. Another good example, you know, cash is king in a situation like this. So a negative screen that gets rid of those companies with poor cash flows, also probably a good thing. And then finally, as sort of a catch-all where nothing, you know, come the, where these other things don't apply, if a company has really, really low relative strength, so if it has a relative strength of two or something, then there's probably something going on that's not covered inside the data. And so we use that as, as sort of a, a thing, as a check to make sure that, even though we've analyzed all this data, if there's something else going on that's not present in that data, by screening out the absolute lowest relative strength companies, you can also help to protect from that. So, yeah, no one is going to be perfect right now. You know, no matter how you analyze stocks when you get a breaking point like this, what happens in the future and what happens in the past, it's going to be very hard to use that past data to try to figure out the future. But I, I do think if, if you buy historically cheap companies, especially in a period like this where value is done so poorly – you can you're probably still going to do well good okay i think what we'll try to do is you know maybe once every couple of weeks throughout the this period of uncertainty and volatility in the market we'll you know try to do these when we think we have enough to talk about so we hope you found this valuable thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time thank you hi guys this is justin again thanks so much for tuning into this episode of excess returns you can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, 
please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.